Hey, Chloe. Hey, Ralph. How are you going? Oh, I'm sorry if it's boring, but I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's, your, that that's just your response all the time. And I, but I love that. Like, I seriously love that. How amazing to be awesome all the time. Yeah, well, I'm not awesome all the time. Like, I don't know, like... Is it a mindset or...? Uh, well, uh, you know, like I have days where I feel a bit cranky sometimes. Do you, do you really? Yeah. Um, I haven't really witnessed that much. Well, yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty awesome most days. Pretty awesome most days. Well, I just, I don't know. Like, I basically, I li- I'm living my best life, I think. So, yeah. It's not to be awesome. Yeah. And you start your day, you've got such a nice way you start your day, don't you? You're like up before anyone else and you go and yeah, get into my, your gym. When and my feet hit the hit the floor, I wake up without the alarm, which, which I'm just lucky I can do that. And um, Incredible. when my feet hit the floor, I say, it's going to be an awesome day. And um, then I pat out That's to the- That's very tiny habits. I yeah, love that. Pat out to the kitchen, yeah. turn on the espresso, grind some coffee up. What a freaking awesome way to start the day. Have a nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. nice double espresso <laughs> and um, sit on the couch and read a book or, you know, stare at the wall and listen to the, the, the birds waking up or whatever. And um, or sometimes I sit on the patio because we've got a really nice view of like the, this kind of trees and stuff. And um, so I watch the, the sun come up sometimes, but usually it's oh, a, bit, it's a bit, depends on the time of the year, right? Because right now it's a little bit dark when I get yeah. up. Um, yeah. And then I go down and do a workout and uh, I'm, I've got, I'm lucky enough to have a, I've got a little gym or actually a big gym in my Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> you guys that are listening to this, I have seen Raf's gym. So it's not just like, you know, the home gym where you've got a couple of pieces of equipment laying about and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I can do it. Like, it's kind of, I would call it a bit state of the art. Like, yeah, it's no, a proper it's a, gym. Like, yeah. why would you go anywhere else kind of gym is what it is. Yeah, it's like a full commercial gym, you know, like boutique level yeah. setup. Um, You know, I've got a reformer in there, I've got a power rack, got a commercial treadmill, a um, air trainer bike, a, you know, a deadlift platform, a whole bunch of bars and kettlebells and, you know. You've got all yeah, the It's pretty things. awesome. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, yes. So I'm down there for a couple of hours every morning and, you know, just do a bit of workout, flip through a bit of Instagram, listen to some tunes, you know. What a great way to start the day. That's a really great way to start the day. I just, I just love that. Mm, well, I'm are. good too. And now I'm we good are. too. Yeah. And and yeah. so 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 tell me about your morning routine. <sighs> I'm a bit ad hoc. I must be honest. I would love it if when I am set to routine, uh, which would normally mean heading out for a run, or I, I like to exercise first thing before I do anything else. Uh, I feel awesome, and for me, it's usually running because I do tap into that runner's high, even in, you know, at the moment I haven't been doing it as, I, I, you know, running feels quite tough to me again, you know, when you haven't done it for a while and it's like, oh, this is tough. I still have those moments where I tap into that pure like high and it's freaking incredible. Um, so yeah, that always puts me in a really good mood, but sometimes having just like a really slow morning does as well in this new place I'm living in. It's, you know, my house, I've got this big kind of house to myself and it's really nice to wake up in and there's, you know, plants and a window I can open that looks onto all this place. It's just, yeah, so it's lovely. So I'm, I'm, either, I'm either way, both tend to make me happy, but getting up and moving my body is, is my happy place. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes I just need to make myself do it as opposed to going, you know, like just do it. You know, it's that whole you never regret a workout. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, just after coffee for me. After coffee, right. See, I have my coffee after my workout. Mm. I really look forward to it. That would be my favourite. Like I'd do my run and then get a long black on the way home mm. and then have my shower. And that's like, yeah, so that's my happy, that's my happy place. And uh, we've talked about Tiny Habits before, haven't we, by yeah. BJ, BJ, BJ Fogg? Fog. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you guys haven't haven't got your hands on that, highly suggest it just it just makes it so much easier to implement change when it only has to be something really tiny as the name suggests and and what what studies show is that like from tiny we build actually long-term sustainable behavioral change Mm. 
um, without it feeling overwhelming. So, yeah, it's really great. All about habits. Yes. Yeah, because when you've got good habits, basically you just automate your behaviour. You know? Exactly, and it's, exactly. It's behaviours over time that, that get us, our, you know, outcomes in yeah. life. So. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yes, so, um, okay, I will be going for a run tomorrow morning <laughs> when my feet hit the ground. So, yay. So what are we What are we going to talk about today? Oh, we've got some, we got some preamble, we've got some we do, we do, listener the, we'll, questions. And yeah, should we do the preamble and then? Well, I think that was the preamble. That was, let's oh, do was listener questions. Listener questions? Okay. Oh, what, well, before we're going into listener, before we go into listener questions, yeah. I want to respond to a listener comment. Okay. On my personality. <laughs> well, you've got a good personality. Nothing wrong with your personality. <laughs> well, well, look, well, look. Here's the thing, right? Is that oh, I saw this. I saw this. Uh, I saw this great like billboard not that long ago, and it was basically what it said was, and it resonated with me. Stop trying to make everyone like you. You don't even like everyone. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and I, like. Do you know, like, do you know what I mean? And Raph, you've known me for a freaking long time. Like, we're going to yeah, be, like you know, we're going to be into, we're going to be pushing the decade. Mm. Yeah. And I've worked for you for a long time. And I think you've probably noticed a huge change in me and my personality in regards to, in regards to care. Like, I was really, I, everyone had to like me. You'd mm. agree with that. Like, I was a people pleaser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think, you know, the more you come into your own voice, and, you know, develop as, you know, you know, in, in self-confidence and all of those things, the more you just go, well, like, fuck it. And honestly, too, like, if, if you're listening to someone on a podcast or on the television or on the whatever and their mannerisms annoy you, Don't listen. you've got control yeah. to hang up turn it off. or turn, press stop or turn the TV off, right? So the, the comment was basically that, you know, my nature where I, I obviously like I laugh a lot and, you know, I, you know, in these conversations I find a lot of joy and that is my conversational style. And, I mean, we're talking about queuing. We're not talking about someone dying, right? And I know, you know, I know when to regulate. Uh, and it was like, you know, the, the comment was that um, – my manner uh, was actually detracted from the the weight of the conversation. Um, it didn't add any depth or credibility. Ah. So, so that's a <laughs> that's probably a fallacy. Well, um, it, it's something starting with F. <laughs> but it's interesting too because when we when we talk about you know it, the this person looped in too well. You know, it's a serious topic, and I'm like, you know what? Doesn't have to oh, be. I'm going to say that. Well, it doesn't have to be, but also, like, I have been through very serious things in my life. Last year, I lost two people, two family members. I also had a best friend who went through uh, breast cancer treatment. And I tell you what, within all of those moments, including the people that were actually the closest affected by it, that the moments were lifted, and the the connection was lifted via, you know some shared laughter, some shared this and that. And so I just think that, you know, it doesn't always have to be like, it doesn't take away from any credibility and whatnot or yeah. sensitivity to the topic, and I guess is what I'm saying. The person who said that, you know, whoever it was, I'm going to send you a special link to Gene Kelly and Jerry Mouse in the show notes. That'll, that'll cheer you up. Yeah. So anyway, my answer to it was, I am as this is the most authentic self I've probably ever been in my life. Um, so at 43, and I'm really comfortable with that. And for our listeners and for our listeners who love listening and are getting so much from this podcast, uh, just know that you are get this is unscripted. This is not prepared. This is Raf and I are having a conversation. I've not had media training. I'm not a TV presenter. I'm not a this or that. This is just me. Yeah. So you yeah. know what I think that's 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 what we love about you. Well, thanks, Ralph. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? But it's okay if you don't love it too. Yeah, don't listen. That's but fine. Like seriously, yeah. you don't have to love me. Don't like that's friend. the other thing. You don't have to love me. It's so cool. So anyway, I just want to address that, and I just want to empower you all to just be yourselves and don't mm. don't change your personality for someone else. Like continue growth and continue, you know, as always. But be you because yeah. there ain't no one else. That's you. So. Yeah. I really wanted to say that. I thought it was important. I think um, I think you've got an awesome personality, Chloe. 
couple of things around. I really like yours too. And it'd be super awkward if we didn't like each other's personality when you've kind of been stuck with me for, as we said, near on a decade. Yeah, well, that would be pretty silly of me, wouldn't it? Like, It'd be a bit weird. Be like, I really love torturing myself yeah. by hanging out with Chloe. Yeah. That'd, be, that'd be kind of silly. And, and, then if I, weird. and then if I kind of complained about it, that would be even sillier, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be silly. Yeah. So I just want you all to be your personality. I'm going to continue to be mine. And, you know, again, those that love what we're putting out there, thank you. And, you know, the feedback coming through uh, is freaking phenomenal. Mm. There's only one person so far that said that. <laughs> I annoy them, and that's cool. Yeah. That's what cool. else? What else we got? Okay. So let's uh, let's dive in to Chloe's DMs, um, which sadly still no dating, none of that. But um, that's okay. Just a segue. I know that a lot of the DMs have been, "Hey, Chloe, how's your love life going?" So well, hold on, hold one. on, people out there. Like, I'm, this is a. I'm putting a call out to you. You know, people out there. Instead of just Right, if you know, I'm presumably these are female people, right? So they're they're messaging you yes. going, How's your love life? It's like, okay. Yes. Well, if you're a female, you must know men, right? There must be men in your in your social orbit who are, you know, between a certain age and a certain age who are into fitness and don't mind women who laugh sometimes. <laughs> you know, like just sit down next to them and say, Hey, look, look at Chloe's social media, isn't she cool? Would you like to get in touch with her? Set, set, set a sister up. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Great. So if you're going to slide into my DMs about that from now on, it's with a setup. That, no Thanks, no problems, only solutions. Come with solutions. Yeah. Yeah. We like, oh, we like that. We like that. Okay. So pivoting from my uh, personality and dating life now, and we're going to head into um, a uh, question from a curious listener. Okay. So I will read. The question, and then uh, I'm going to hand the answer over to you, predominantly rough on this one. Here we go. Um, hey, Chloe, uh, I have another question I'd love clarification about to do with abdominals. Now, I have listened to all the podcasts and done the reading, so tick. That's awesome. Thank you for doing the work. Um, so I'm well aware of the fact that queuing transverse abdominis does not relate to back pain and also that into uh, internal cues are less effective. So are you able to please point me in the right direction to do with abdominal doming, not diastasis rectus related, when clients do abdominal work and their stomach is bolting outwards in the middle or when they are in a four-point kneeling plank and their stomach drops down, presses out instead of lifting up, etc. My understanding is you guys are saying no to cue it because of no relationship to pain. However, don't we still want to have strong TVA, uh, so transversus abdominis for function, and to be able to control the abdominal muscles? Question mark. Yes, we do. Uh, in, do you want your clients to have a strong transversus abdominis? I want my clients to have a strong transversus abdominis. Um, right. Yeah. So. Okay. So, do we need to? But do you need? So, so the question is, you know, do we need to cue it? And the answer is, no, you don't. Um, so the 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 human motor system is the, the human human motor system. When I say that, all I mean is your the parts of your brain that are involved in planning and controlling movement, plus your nerve tracts, you know, that go from your brain to your muscles, uh, plus your muscles, you know, so all of that put together is, you know, add in some bones and some ligaments and some tendons and stuff, and bam, that's your motor system. It's just the system, you know, the, the system in your body that moves you around. Um, and so the human motor system is incredibly complex. You know, we've got 620-odd muscles in the in the body, and uh, – you know, several thousand kilometers of nerve uh, fibers and some unearthly number like a trillion neurons in your brain. Um, and so it's just unfreaking believably complex. It's a really, really, really complex system. And uh, it is able to be under conscious control. You know, you can consciously tense, you know, your bicep. Um, however, most of the time it is not under con conscious control. It just works automatically. And uh, when you, 
uh, and and the reason it works you know automatically or non-consciously most of the time is it's actually much more efficient when you uh, don't control it consciously because you actually uh, you know all right I'm going to oversimplify a little bit here but basically you know when you're consciously controlling your your body uh, you are using your prefrontal cortex you know the the basically the the youngest part of your brain mm-hmm. the, um, uh, evolutionarily speaking uh, to you know to consciously you know control certain muscle contractions or whatever uh, and that prefrontal cortex it's not a, an area that is specialized for movement you know it's an area that is actually relatively young um, you know on an evolutionary time scale and is more involved in executive function so it's basically its job is to um, uh, resist the urges of your <laughs> lizard brain, you know. So when right. when someone cuts you off in traffic and you want to like get out of the car <laughs> and put an axe through their head, you know, <laughs> it's 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 your prefrontal cortex that says, yeah, maybe that's not a good idea. Or right. you know, when you when you're on the train and you look at someone, you think, holy crap, that person is like ugly or has a big nose or whatever. You. You know, you—it's your prefrontal cortex that stops you from saying that out loud. And if you're a two-year-old, your prefrontal cortex isn't developed yet, and oh, so that's you why do they say, say all the yeah. things. They just—they yeah. just say it. Mummy, why yeah. is that? Why is that man's nose so big? Yes, you know? yeah, they just yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and so lots pre- of my friends have told me about some horror stories in regards to these sorts of things. Yeah. So our prefrontal cortex is, you know, it's executive function. You know, if you want to have that piece of chocolate cake now, but you know that later you probably will regret it, your prefrontal cortex is the is the part of your brain that, you know, resists oh, okay. that urge, right? So right. It's, it's all about, you know, overriding your natural kind of, you know, instincts, basically. Uh, and uh, and you can do that with movement as well, right? So, if you, you know, you naturally would relax your belly when you're in a four-point kneeling position, right? And why would you do that? Well, because, like, well, you don't need to tense it. So yeah, relax it. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, and, but you can consciously override that, right? So humans are designed to, to, to use as little energy as possible throughout the day because that's evolutionarily clever. Mm. Um, and so, you know, when we don't need to do work, we, we don't. You know, we prefer to lie rather than sit. We prefer to sit rather than stand. We prefer to stand rather than run, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and, and we pref- if we can, you know, do something without thinking about it, we prefer to do it without thinking about it rather than think about it. So, yeah. uh, and so we have a part of our brain called the, the motor cortex, which is a little bit further back in your brain, um, which is its job is to plan movement right so if you if you you know want to move over to the other side of the room right you send a message to your pre uh, motor cortex that says hey i want to go over to the other side of the room and then your pre motor cortex says oh okay cool well let's contract this muscle then this muscle then this muscle then this muscle and that you know send then it sends out like a burst of instructions to your legs and torso and arms and whatever and tells all the bits to contract in the right sequence to get mm-hmm. you over to the other side of the room um, and the thing about your your premotor cortex is that's what it's designed for, right? It's evolved over millions of years. You know, lizards have premotor cortexes in them. You know, fish have it, right? So this is the very ancient part of our brain uh-huh. that it is has evolved over literally millions of years, right? So if something's evolved over millions of years, it's like it's a design that just ain't broke. Like it it works, you know. Mm. Um, so basically, every you know every species from like you know fruit flies on up has you know this part of their brain of of the brain um and its job is to plan movements right plan you plan you know how much do i contract this muscle and for how long and how much do i contract that muscle and for how long and how do do i relax the muscles on opposing those muscles and for how long and how much and all of that kind of stuff and so that that's that's a specialized part of your brain that's designed for that right and that's the part of the brain that is way way m- more efficient at doing that than your prefrontal cortex whose job is basically you know the it's a, it's an executive role you know it's the it's the manager it's the ceo <laughs> of the brain right but it, it's not i think if we continue with the ceo analogy like this it's the c the, the prefrontal cortex you know the 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 bit that the two year old doesn't have 
right? Yeah. It, it's, its role is executive, right? Its role is to overlook everything and then decide, you know, when do we resist urges here? Okay, when do we resist, mm. you know, urge? But, but it, it's not the best at doing anything, right? The CEO is not the best salesperson. It's not the best right, you know, you, yeah. person at doing whatever. But it can make it can see things that the salesperson can't see and that the customer mm. service person can't see. So it, it can make higher level decisions about oh, when would it maybe not be a good idea to contract that muscle, or when would it be a good idea to you know to not go over to the other side of the room or whatever. But yeah. if if you want to move efficiently, as it, and efficient being defined as use the minimum amount of calories to produce the same amount of output. Right, mm-hmm. so that's the definition of efficient. So you know, use less effort to get the same result. Right, mm-hmm. let your pre-motor cortex plan that because that's the most efficient part of your brain to do that. And if you look at anybody who is, you know, very skilled at movement, you know, look at someone who's a great high-level dancer or athlete, right, or musician, mm-hmm. right. Look at them when they're in their flow, right. Someone yeah. who's winning Wimbledon or somebody who's you know, winning the Olympic gold medal, someone who's playing, you know, a, a, a Bach, you know, cello sonata or something, right? It's like they are not consciously controlling their movements. They are, mm. they are, you know, they are doing that just unconsciously, right? Non-consciously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because that's, that's, that's the way you have to do it if you want to do it to the fullest possible extent of your, you know, of your potential, right? Because it's like if you want to make the most sales, you've got to get the salesperson doing it, not the CEO. If you want to give the best customer service, you've got to get the customer service person doing it, not the CEO, right? Mm. So, um, yeah. So we can override it consciously, but it's it's not it's just not a good strategy. Uh, and so, for example, like when you if you just do a, it'll activate all by itself, right? If when you do mm. if you do say a barbell squat, you know, you just do a squat with a barbell on your back. Uh, that is your six. And the reason I say that is because I've just happened to read some research on it, so I, I haven't read any research on this in like Pilates footwork, for example. But um, uh, if you do a barbell squat with a six rep max, so basically a weight on the barbell where you can do six reps, right? Six squats, but you can't do a seventh because it's so heavy that you can't do it seven times. Um, that is equivalent to doing in terms of how much your abs activate, including your transverse abdominis, is equivalent to doing a full body plank with a 20 kilo weight plate on your back, right? So just doing a squat, right? We're not saying mm. tense your abs, to, you know, not, not mm. consciously, just like pick the bar up, stand up, right? Mm. Your your brain activates those muscles because if you don't activate them, your trunk bends in half and you can't squat, Uh huh. Mm-hmm. right? So it's just your brain will automatically activate those muscles. You don't need to tell it to do it. And if, it, if it's not activating in a given position, it's because it doesn't need to activate in that particular position. And if you just do normal life activities like exercises that challenge your whole body, like planks and squats and push-ups and lunges and things like that, your abs will work plenty hard. Mm-hmm. They'll work fine. Mm-hmm. And I um, I remember seeing that, I, oh, was it one, on, one of Anthony Lowe's Post potentially, he's an awesome physio who does a lot of work with. I might be quoting him wrong though; it might not be him. Anyway, it was on pelvic floor, and basically, it's like you do a squat, your pelvic floor is doing a lot of work in that anyway. Of course, it is. Yeah, you know. So it's it's this again. It yeah, it's us yes. kind of. It's us kind of trying to. I feel like sometimes this is still like trying to micromanage the body when we know it that is. the body. This is in, yeah. incredibly intelligent organism that it's like when someone tries to isolate a muscle yeah and 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 people love doing that in pilates trying to isolate a muscle what muscle specifically is this exercise working well that's that's just an it's just not possible not it's not it's not the right question it's not the right question yeah yeah. Yeah. So, and and i just want to though i i just want to address the the question on uh doming and taking it away from this oh, yeah. about okay. DRAM, diastasis rectus, right. but this being yeah. about, you know, if you're doing an abdominal curl and you're pulling the insertion and origin of your rectus abdominis towards each other, well, it's, it's the straight it's line is the shortest up. distance between two points, right? So if you, you, your rectus abdominis, your six-pack muscle goes from your T5 um, rib, you know, the, the sternum and T5 ribs down to your symphysis pubis. When you curl forward, the shortest distance between those two points is a straight line. So it's not going to be a scooped 
position, it's going to be a straight line, which is going to look like a quote dome. So that is like, that's just like, that's, that's the normal biomechanics of that muscle functioning, right? If you, if you, uh, if you draw in, when you do that curl up, you actually inhibit the action of the rectus abdominis, which provides about 70% of the power in that curl up movement. Um, and so thus you reduce the efficiency of the movement, right? And that's an example of using conscious control actually makes it less efficient. Yep. So just let your body, let's just get your premotor cortex to it. Don't worry about it. Doming, not a thing. Don't worry about it. It's just a made up thing. It's, it's not, it's not a real thing. Absolutely. And also, um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that uh, someone telling me how they failed a practical Pilates exam, obviously not with us, uh, because in the hundred, their abdominals bulged. That was their reason for failing that. To me, that's just like, that's nuts. Yeah. yeah. We, just, we just make up these rules. They're not, they don't come from anywhere. Someone just made it up, right? It's not a real thing. And it's an, and 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 I mean sometimes I think a lot of this is coming down to aesthetics again. I mean, look at look at like go look at a cat, right? When a cat stands, does its belly suck in? No, it bulges down. It's like they just walk around relaxed, you know, like just be like a cat. <laughs> be like a cat. And read Cage Lion as well, because you know, John talks about how uh John still talks about how Joseph Pilates studied Love to study cats yeah. and the and the lions at the zoo and how they moved don't and think, how they don't think lions go around tensing their, their abs all the no, time. No, how they'd be like they were really efficient with their movement, so they'd be yeah. really like lazy and laying there, and then all of a sudden they'd be able to leap up and then they could go back to yeah. yeah so, don't worry about know. doming; it's just made up. It's not a real thing. Like just please get your clients moving, keep yeah. them empowered. They will get strong just yeah. by doing those things. And if you just do some squats or some planks or some side planks or some yeah. teasers. Your transverse yeah, abdominals. Some long stretches on the yeah. reformers and all of those. They're all yeah. good. Transverse all abdominals great. will be awesome. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Excellent. Mm. That was a good good question. That was actually mm. awesome to uh, answer that. Great. Mm. Okay. Oh, gosh. Well, what are we doing? <laughs> That's been a good chat. <laughs> da, 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 we play the, play the final. No, I think we've got more to talk about, don't we? What's, yeah. our, what's our topic for today? We're going to talk about stretching and flexibility, which, Ooh. which uh, yeah. Good try. You didn't muster up quite enough enthusiasm to, to make it believable. So when Ralph usually says a topic, I'm sure all the listeners are going, Chloe's usually like, yeah, this is a juicy one. I'm really excited about this. And Ralph goes, yeah, stretching flexibility. I go, cool. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't care much for it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, yeah, so – but I know that a lot of – I know that a lot of you do and you're really interested in it. It just doesn't interest me. And we can, we can explore why it doesn't interest me. But, you know – Raf's going to make it interesting. Oh, yeah. We'll make it interesting between us. <laughs> we'll make it interesting. Let's talk about stretching and flexibility. If, if there are females out there listening to this, we can empower them. <laughs> and and males too, of course. <laughs> but we're all about empowerment either way. We are all about empowerment. I yeah. think Raf's referring to that the uh, from from the last episode, the uh, the special uh, request for a collaboration I had from a, a female empowerment product. Mm. Um, yes. So, okay. Good good reference, Raf. Mm. Um, if you want to know more about that, you need to listen to episode 20. Oh, you, I thought you were going to say, if you want to know a bit more about that, look <laughs> up the link in my bio. On- <laughs> <laughs> hey, Raf, I'm being way too jovial for a topic that's uh, <laughs> Serious flexibility, yeah, it's a serious topic, yeah. and it's going to take away the credibility of a topic that I feel very passionate about. So let's, uh, without further ado, let's continue. Okay, so flexibility, eh? Um, well, uh, I think um, it's interesting that uh, it it it's thought of as flexibility is thought of as kind of like one of the you know the the key kind of facets of fitness, you know, so there's like strength, there's endurance, there's mm. cardiorespiratory fitness, and then there's flexibility, and then there's balance and coordination, you know, kind of those those five things. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, that, you know, stretching is one of those things that uh, if you're a dancer, you probably just love doing it and feel weird if you don't do it. But if you're just a regular human, it's one of those things that you kind of think you should do, like eating more kale. 
you know? Yeah, there's um, a lot of people that think they should be stretching. Yeah. I haven't been stretching. I've got to do more stretching. Yeah. I know it's really bad. I'm really stiff. Yeah. <laughs> and people feel bad about it. And um, mm. so we're here, we're here to, to help you let go of that. Aren't we, Chloe? Yes. Yeah, you don't need to feel bad about yeah. it. And we're going to talk about it. If you like doing it, do it. Yeah. If you don't like doing it, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. If you like, if you like it, do it. Um, yeah. So, all right. So, flexi- so where does that, I think, I, you know what I'd love you to go into, which I'm yeah. sure you're going to, is the uh, elephant in the room. Well, I guess the elephant is that, you know, it's some sort of guilty thing and you should be doing it. And if not, you're yeah, it's good a bad you. person it's and you're not you. looking after your health and fitness. Well, I think the but elephant also, is that it's, it's good for you slash virtuous okay. to do it. You know. Could 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 I also put in a sub element there? Oh, elephant, elephant, yeah, sub elephant, sub elephant, baby elephant, well, baby elephant. That what exactly is happening when we're stretching? Because you know, if I have to hear bloody longer, leaner muscles and all of that one more time, uh, that there's some sort of mechanism that by you, you stretch and your muscles just continue to get longer and longer and longer. Well, look at ballet dancers, right? They stretch a lot and they've got long, lean muscles. So that proves it. No, it doesn't prove it because <laughs> oh, you know called, what? That's called Sele- that, That's called selection bias because guess what? So all, all of the little four-year-old girls and boys, of course, start ballet class, right? And, you yeah, know, yeah. They're and all the sh- ones that are naturally good at it right. go in one and direction. So, the ones like me that were stiff. Right. So, oh. you know, 20 years later, you know, when we're I in the, 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 the core of the National Ballet, right, who's left? Well, the ones who are exactly the right height, exactly the right weight, have exactly the right bone structure, the exactly. Genetic disposition. Exactly. The ones uh-huh. with fucking longer, leaner muscles. That's what. Because you don't see, you know, ballet is a very aesthetic, you know, discipline. Mm-hmm. It's all about the aesthetics. It, that That's mm-hmm. what it is, right? So it's not. It's not anything other than aesthetics, which is not a criticism. It's like, but it's a very, no, be- no, no, it's no, about no. beauty. I love right? dancers and I love ballet. And and so who gets chosen to be in the core of the National Ballet? Well, the ones who look beautiful when they dance, you know? Yes. That's the ones, right? And so are they kind of like the short ones with stumpy arms and legs and their middle sections, round, you know, round and wider well, than their Well, for me, hips, it was, I got know? told that my point my point was like a claw. So mm. I actually, I'm going to put my hand up here and say, I actually did ballet for quite a lot of years up until first, first year of high school, I think is when I stopped. It was when I got to point shoes and uh, – just did not have a natural point and my teacher would sit there and she would manually stretch my feet. So she'd sit there and she'd manually, maybe this is where my head of stretching came from, and she'd like, "Mm, oh, oh, I feel like I'm on the side couch now. And she'd just bloody sit there and with me in my point shoes and here I was like 12 and she'd ram my foot down repeatedly and it freaking hurt, like it hurt a lot. And I remember I still – remember the day my mother took me to the doctors and said, look, can you have a look at Chloe's feet? You know, and he said, and he looked my mum in the eye in front of me and he said, well, is she any good? As in uh, dancing wise, is she any good? And both mum and I looked at each other and went, oh, she gets the achievement awards and is often like the scenery on stage. And he said, well, look, she either continues to do this and she's going to wreck her feet or she finds a new hobby. So I found a new hobby and it was aerobics. Oh, good. Awesome. And aerobics is much better for you and it's probably a, a, a good decision from a health perspective. A- absolutely. But it's cool that the doctor was just really upfront. Mm. He's like, well, she can get a new – it's not don't stop exercising. It's yeah. let's get her a new hobby. But yeah. I just love that. Well, is she any good? Yeah. No. So why why keep ramming my feet? Anyway, we yeah. digress. Yeah. Fascinating. So Maybe um, I'm liking this topic more and more. Oh, great. Well, I'm glad, I'm yeah. glad, glad we're um, empowering you. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, so there's a genetic factor. We know that. Yeah, there's genetic factors. You know, yes. you can't you can't stretch your muscles longer. So, all right. So, uh, can Let's you talk in- about the mechanism of yeah, what so, happens when you stretch? So, can you can you can you increase your flexibility? Yes, you can. Absolutely. Um, how how can you do that? Well, you can stretch, or you can do strength training. Strength training also increases your flexibility to the same degree as uh, stretching. And uh, there's just a new. Uh, systematic review um, that came out this year and it, it 2021. It's called Strength Training is as effective as stretching for improving range of motion, a systematic review and meta-analysis by uh, uh, Afonso uh, 
et al 2021. So there you are, the conclusion's in the title. Wow. Um, and I'll link to that in the show notes. So, uh, so you know, so you can stretch or you can just do strength training through range of motion, which has the same results. Uh, but, you know, when you do that, what, what actually happens inside your body, and we talked about this in a previous show, is that uh, pretty minimal changes to your muscle architecture. Now, there's some suggestion in some in a, in a small number of studies that you you can actually make you know very minimal changes to muscle architecture if you do an incredibly intense high volume stretching, so something like eleven thousand seconds per week. Which, if I do a quick calculation, is about one hundred eighty three minutes or th- a bit over three hours of stretching per body part. Um, per week so that's an awful lot of stretching right so that is you know half an hour on your ham you know half an hour forward bend six days a week for example you know that's that's a considerable amount of stretching um at high intensity right so this is like right to the point of tolerance Mm. so you know like that's that's a pretty like okay if you're a professional gymnast elite gymnast dance Mm. it's like yeah you're probably doing that much but if you're just a regular folk who goes for a bit of a run and does a bit of a quad stretch beforehand yeah you're not doing anything to your to your muscles per se you're probably just modifying the your uh tolerance to the painful stretch sensation Mm. um uh, so as you get more flexible your muscles don't actually get longer you just uh get desensitized to the painful, you know, to the discomfort of stretching. And so, I mean, just think about it, right? Think about so it logically. your nervous system adapts. Yeah, your brain adapts, basically. So, right. I mean, think about it logically, right? So, if if you can, you know, if if I if if I did a, a forward bend right now, I stood up and did a forward bend, I would be able to reach almost to my feet. You know, I could practically touch my feet with my knees straight. Um, and then, so if I went to, you know, if I went to intensive stretching sessions, right, if I did like half an hour a day forward bend at high intensity, you know, six days a week for the next, say, five years, right, I reckon at the end of those five years, I'd probably be able pretty close to do a full split. You know, I mean, I'm talking about like, there's no way I'm going to put in that much effort, right, but just say I did, right? Yeah. And, you, you know, were working your splits for a while. Yeah, when you were, yeah, but yeah. I was still running, and that's a whole other story. And running, right, okay. running has the opposite effect, right? Yes. So, yep, <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> so I'd have to stop running, obviously, um, and then just spend all that time stretching. And then yeah. at the end of that, let's just say, let's just say for argument's sake, that I could do the splits at the end of five years of doing that, right? So my yep. hamstring, I've gone from say I don't know, like uh, eighty degrees of hip flexion. You know, because I can almost touch my toes. I've gone from 80 degrees to like 160 degrees of hip flexion, right? So basically a full split. So mm-hmm. I've, I've literally doubled from 80 to 160 the range of motion of that joint in that direction, right? I've literally doubled it. So did my muscle double in length, right? Well, think about it. When, when you see someone standing up, right, and you see them from the side and they're wearing, you know, like shorts or they're wearing like, you know, yoga pants or leggings or whatever, and, and, and you look at their leg, you see kind of there's a, bul- a little bulge in the back of their thigh, right, and that's the hamstring muscles. Can you, mm-hmm. if you can picture it? Yep. Well, if I stretched for five years and I doubled my range of motion, you know, doubled the amount of hip flexion that I could do, the amount of forward bending that I could do, if my hamstrings got double as long in order to do to achieve right to, to get double the range of motion, you'd think the hamstring gets twice as long, right? Well, if my hamstring got twice as long, well, if when I'm standing up in a neutral posture, right, I'm just standing up normally, right? Well, where does all that extra muscle go, right? Imagine if you had a flex band, like that went from <laughs> your sit bone to your knee, right? Yeah. And it was just the right length to reach from your sit bone to your knee, and then you made it double as long. Right, and now yeah, it's got this flaccid folds yeah. of flex band in between there, right? So when you're standing there and you look at someone, and so you look at say someone in the in the national ballet, right, and you look at them from the side, what do you see on the back of their thigh? Do you see like this kind of folded up muscle, kind of all kind of just folded in there and kind of sitting there with this like long fire hose that's not, you know, like it's all flopsy? No, they just they've just got a little bulge in the back of their thigh, just like a normal person, right? 
hamstring muscle. So the muscle doesn't get twice as long. It doesn't even, it hardly even gets like 5% longer. It basically doesn't get longer. Um, mm. It just changes your perception of that uh, stretch position. Mm. Yeah. So there you go. Love it. Okay. So um, what about the person, and, and this I think is more, I think a lot of health professionals are, are all over this one from, I think, from what I've heard, but definitely the general public still has a perception that a, a static stretch is an effective warm-up for any kind of exercise. I think that's a, I think that's a good one to bust. Yeah, I think there are a bunch of elephants about stretching, aren't there? One is that your muscles get longer when you stretch. They don't. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to link to some literature in the show notes on this. Uh, another one is that uh, stretching is a good warm-up. It kind of sucks as a warm-up because after you stretch uh, for the, for the like immediately after you stretch for, say, about a half hour, like after you do a static stretch, you know, you hold a static stretch for, say, Yeah, so it's seconds. like when you see a runner walk up and whack a foot up against a fence and do like the, the old static, you know, that old classic hammy, Hemi stretch or, yeah, right. or, or the, or the, or the your, quad stretch. Or if you're the, lying on your reformer in KX Pilates before class and you put your foot in the fitness circle and hold it there. So yeah, that's that's static stretch mm. before you're about to go into your footwork. Yeah. Right. Um, so after, you know, when you hold a static stretch for 30 seconds or more, um, it temporarily inhibits, um, you know, some of the, the properties of that, uh, the capacity capacity of that muscle to produce force. So for something like 30 minutes after you hold a static stretch uh, for 30 seconds or more, your muscle, the maximum uh, strength and power that you can produce in that muscle is reduced by roughly 10%, um, which is not a big deal if you're just going for a jog around the block or doing your KX Pilates class or whatever, because you're probably never using 100% of your strength anyway, so you wouldn't notice if it was 10% less because you never get that high but if you're about to like compete in a sports match or dance on stage or you know do something at a high level of effort mm, you know we're going yeah. to use close to your maximum strength or power well you'll notice a difference so uh, static stretching is is a pretty poor warm-up uh, dynamic stretching can be a good warm-up where you kind of swing your Arms or legs or torso. Swing your arms, swing yeah. your legs. Do yeah. some. Do some, You see. You see it uh, on track and field when people are warming up like that. You see it now with all the. You know, this has been adopted by um, sports teams. You know, all the. You know, the footy players and everyone. It's static stretching has been a no-no uh, as a warm-up for quite a while now. Mm. I do. I do still see it. Uh, a, a smidge with with your average Joe Blow going yeah. for doing Just the doing the exercise. Grab your ankle. Do a bit of a quad stretch before you run. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's like no. Yeah. Do that at the end if you want, but yeah. you know it's not. It's it's not great. It's only not a great warm up, and it doesn't do anything. Only and and only and only if you want. Okay. Um, okay. So we've busted that. What about injury? Uh, injury risk. In stretch. I should stretch to reduce my injury risk. Yeah. Well, I feel sometimes too that that I've heard that mindset in regards to using it as a warm up as well. It's like, well, mm, I need to stretch mm, before no, I exercise to reduce my injury. Yeah, no, it no. could actually be the opposite. <laughs> yeah. So but, um, stretching doesn't reduce injury risk. Uh, it's there's quite a few systematic reviews and meta analyses on this, and I'll link to one in the show notes. But um, uh, the only asterisk I would put on that is asterisk I would put on that is if you require a certain range of motion for your sport. Well, um, if you don't have that range of motion, it probably does increase your injury risk. So in that case, stretching to achieve the required range of motion might be useful, although you could do strength training or do the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, just like stretching, you know, like the t sort of typical what you'd find after a gym session or workout where people do a few toe touches, a bit of a quad stretch and a bit of a torso twist on the floor or whatever. It's like it might feel nice, but it doesn't do bugger all. makes diddly squat of difference to your uh, short, medium or long-term risk of injury. You know what and does? And it, oh, what were you saying? There you go, here you go. Well, I'm actually excited about this topic now. I'm like, oh, this is actually quite a good topic. Um, uh, what was I going to say? That it also, uh, and I could be wrong, on this, I'm not, not uh, totally clear. In regards, I'm pretty sure it doesn't affect because other uh, delayed onset muscle soreness, DOMS. So another reason people tend to stretch and studios I've worked at before have 
asked that I ensure there is a stretch in the cool down in order to uh, minimise my client's delayed onset muscle soreness. Like, what's your your take on that? Maybe it does. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. I'm just let me look it up. Um, I feel like it doesn't, but and but I I can't. I'm just saying. I feel. I'm not saying. Hey, here's the here's the study on that. All right. Um, I've got here uh, a study called. An evidence-based approach for choosing post-exercise recovery techniques to reduce markers of muscle damage, soreness, fatigue, and inflammation. A systematic review with meta-analysis from Dupuy et al. 2018. So I think that's what we were after. Sounds good to me. The aim of the present work was to perform a meta-analysis evaluating the impact of recovery techniques on delayed onset muscle soreness, or DOMS, perceived fatigue, muscle damage, and inflammatory markers after physical exercise. Uh conclusions massage seems to be the most effective method for reducing doms and perceived fatigue Uh, perceived fatigue can be effectively managed using compression techniques such as compression garments massage or water immersion doesn't mention stretching there you go. Mm. So when I um, I was lucky enough to go backstage to an opening party of the Australian Ballet, it's quite a few years ago now, and talk to the lead uh, performer, the lead the lead artist, and he, I mean, he was a phenomenal athlete, and he'd done. And I'm sorry, I I can't remember what these jumps are called, but he'd done jump after jump after jump after jump. This was in um, Giselle, and. I was just like, what do you, you know, what, what do you do after this? And he's like, I go home and I have a, like, he's got this like barrel that gets filled with ice uh, and water, like, and he immer- like immerses himself in that, like his legs, he just puts them straight in that. And that's, so that's making sense, isn't it? That's with the, with the recovery. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that's a sort of a fine point on that one with the, mm-hmm. the whole body cryotherapy. Um, So uh, basically the findings on that are that it reduces perceived fatigue, right? So it Uh it reduces, you know, subjective feelings of fatigue, um, but it doesn't reduce actual fatigue as in like how many, how much exercise you could do the next day sort of thing. Right. Um, uh, And there is some uh, evidence that it reduces strength gains from exercise. Um, And when you, because when you think about it, well, what is you know, cold do, it, it reduces inflammation, yeah. right? And inflammation is the first stage of the healing response. And when you do, yeah. uh, you know, a, a, a challenging workout, you know, you've done sort of micro damage to your muscles. And so, um, you know, you need some some level of inflammation in there to you know, trigger the rest of the healing gotcha. uh, process. So uh, if you sort of put ice on your body, it's like, well, you're consciously overriding that natural process right. that has evolved over Got 2 it. million years. Yeah. And um, we think our prefrontal cortex knows better than um, two million years of evolution. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Fascinating. Okay. So um, looping back into the whole, you know, I need to do my, I need to do my strength, I need to do my cardio, and I need to do my stretching. Mm. I don't need to do my stretching unless I want to or unless I need to specifically increase range of movement for something that I'm wanting to do? Or what about, you know, when I think about this in a in a uh, rehab sense, I'm thinking about, you know, someone post-shoulder op or someone and we're, you know, working yeah. on the range of movement to get them back to pre, pre-op. Yeah. So, well, I think – I think uh, that's probably the one place where I would use stretching is in a post-surgical rehabilitation uh, in the early phases um, when, you know, somebody has a very, their joint is, you know, potentially very vulnerable. Um, and mm. and uh, so you would, you know, you would work on strength and you would work on flexibility, but you would probably work on them separately. So you might work yeah. on, say, isometric strength, you know, just work, you'd like tensing the muscles without moving. Um, because then you don't require any particular control of the joint um, and you can just challenge the strength aspect. And then you might work on range of motion without any load 
because again, that sort of is reducing the number of variables that you're throwing at this person at the same time. So, but then as you um, progress, you know, through rehabilitation, you know, after a few weeks, you could easily just wrap those two uh, goals into one exercise and just do strength training through range of motion. And then you would achieve the same flexibility gains um, using just one exercise instead of two exercises. So that sounds like a, a good plan to me. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, do you need to stretch after you work out? Nah. Do you need to stretch before you work out? Nah. Do you ever need to stretch? Nah. Unless you have had surgery on a joint and you don't have full range of motion, you want to get the range of motion back. Unless you're in a sport or activity that requires a certain range of motion, you don't have that. And stretching might be good, but you could just do strength training through range of motion and that's going to give you the same flexibility increase plus strength increase. So, you know, you could have flexibility increase or flex the same flexibility increase plus get stronger. You know, seems like a no-brainer to me to just do mm. strength training. And the one <laughs> – it's not your bias at all, Raph. Um <laughs> No, I'm impartial. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the one thing I, uh, I was going to say in regards to the other thing we didn't touch on, you know, those people that, and I think we've talked about this, I think we've talked about this in an earlier episode, like quite an early episode about a sense, like when we're talking about stretching, we're talking about um, when someone has a, they feel tight, right? So they feel tight potentially in their back or they feel tight, you know, my dad gets tight in his arm. I often feel a sensation of tightness in my back, et cetera, that they've, their studies have actually looked in, you know, investigated that and shown that there's not actually a, a difference in, and you might have to help me out with the studies here, Raph, that there's not a difference in the length of muscle or whatnot, that it is actually, a, it's a perceived sensation of tightness. Yes, uh, that's uh, – so, well – Because I think, you know, some people are like, you know, I've, I've got this tight back, I should be stretching it, right? I can feel like my back literally feels tight. I've got yeah. this tight arm, I should be stretching it. Oh, my hamstrings feel really tight, I should be stretching. My my glute, my glute's feeling really tight, like I'm getting, you know, this, this is very a very common narrative as well. So, therefore, in order to – get rid of that sensation to not be tight, to be someone who is less tight, therefore I should be stretching. However, it doesn't correlate, right? You might get a, a neuromodulation, so a, a, a change up, you know, you get a relief. I know, you know, if my back is feeling that sensation of stiffness, I might, you know, lay myself over the the spine corrector, which is such a nocebic name for an apparatus, but I might, you know what I mean, like... <laughs> Could have been more nocebic, the spine corrector. But you know what I mean? And I know, I know that it's just, it just changes it up, that, yeah. that sensation yeah. for me momentarily. I get momentary relief, right? Mm. And then it just goes back to yeah. where it was. So I think yeah. that's worth t touching on. Yeah, well, there was a, there was a really great study um, from 2017 by Tasha Stanton, Laura Mosley. That's the one. Et al. That's the one. Um, in, uh, I think they're at South University SA, um, in South Australia, um, and called feeling stiffness in the back, a protective perceptual inference in chronic back pain. Um, and I'm just going to read you the abstract here because it's, um, it's very, I think it's really worth hearing. Does feeling back stiffness actually reflect having a stiff back? This research interrogates the long-held question of what informs our subjective experience of bodily state. We propose a new hypothesis. Feelings of back stiffness are a protective perceptual construct rather than reflecting a biomechanical property of the back. Um, over three experiments, we challenge the prevailing view by showing that feeling stiff does not relate to objective spinal measures of stiffness and objective back stiffness does not differ between those report who report feeling stiff and those who do not. So what they did was they basically strapped people to a table and they got a 
special quarter of a million dollar machine from their lab to um, basically, you know, push on their back and measure how much it, their back bent under, you know, a certain degree of push, you know, X number of newtons of force, uh-huh, you know, were yeah. required to move it X number of degrees sort of thing. And that's what stiffness is, right? So in, in biomechanics, stiffness is a measure of the resistance to change in length, right? So if you want to, you know, think about like opening a gate, um, if the gate is stiff, it will still open the same distance, like you can still open it fully, but it will be hard yeah. to open. You have to push yeah. it. Imagine it's like squeaking on its creaky hinges, right? Yeah. So a stiff a stiff joint is not one that actually necessarily has less range of motion available uh-huh. to it. It's that it it is harder to move it through the range, right? Uh-huh. So there's more resistance to movement. That's stiffness as opposed to reduced range. So, and so what they did was they, you know, pushed on their back with this special machine and that measured the stiffness, you know, measured the resistance to change in shape. Uh, And they separately, they asked these people, you know, on a scale of one to 10 or whatever, can't remember what scale I use, but basically, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how stiff does your back feel, you know? And uh, what they found was, you know, some people felt very stiff and some people didn't feel very stiff and some people's backs were stiff and some people's were less stiff, you know, when they measured them with the quarter of a million dollar machine, but how stiff your back was as measured by the machine and how stiff you felt just were completely, utterly, totally unrelated, just not related at all, right? So mm. so what they concluded was when you have an experience of a feeling of stiffness in your back, that is not a reflection of the biomechanical properties of the tissues in your back, right? So it feels stiff it's not the same thing as it being stiff, right? And so when you stretch and then afterwards you feel less stiff, well, what changed? Well, what changed was your subjective sensory experience changed, right? You feel less stiff, right? But did you change any of the actual properties of your back? Probably not. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it loops back in. Yeah. You want to do it? If it feels good, if you're happy doing it, do it. Yeah. If you don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, and and if feel empowered not to. Yeah, feel empowered not to. That, that's what I'd encourage. Um, yeah, so you, you're feeling. Sti- it's funny, isn't it? Like we have this experience; it feels stiff, and you think, "Well, you know, I should stretch," but it's like, "Yeah, no, mm. not really," because you just feel stiff. Doesn't mean you are stiff. And mm. uh, yeah, anyway. So, um, all right. So, in uh, stretching, uh, does make you more flexible, although no more than strength training through range of motion. And when you do strength training, you also get strength. Uh, It doesn't prevent injuries when done before or after training. Uh, And it is a terrible warm-up if you do static stretching because Mm -hmm. it reduces temporarily, reduces the maximum uh, power and strength of the muscle. Uh, When you stretch, you're not probably... uh, changing the length of your muscles or tendons or anything, you're much more likely just modifying or, you know, um, desensitizing yourself to those uncomfortable stretch sensations. What else do we need to talk about? I think, I think that, um, I think that sums it up perfectly, Raph. Can I, can I just, can I just give a little plug for strength training here? (laughs) <laughs> hey, I think that was like the last hour and a half. No, no, we're not done yet. No? Um, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> because, all right, so, you know, I, yeah, I said away. right, plug, at, the, right at the start of this stretching conversation that, you know, there are these kind of um, components of flexibility, you know, strength, flexibility, components of, sorry, physical fitness, strength, flexibility, cardiovascular, you know, fitness, balance and coordination, you know, these sort of components of fitness. Um, and the thing is that uh, with strength training and with cardiorespiratory fitness, um, greater fitness and greater strength correlates very closely with longer life and better health, right? So if, if, if I can take you and put you in a leg press machine and measure how much you can leg press, mm. I can predict your health pretty well. Right, I can predict your liver function reasonably well. I can predict your, you know, your cardiovascular health. I can predict your chance of getting dementia. Right, not a hundred percent, obviously, but it's it's a very good, you know, predictive tool. If if I get you to squeeze on a hand 
dynamometer, you know, that measures your grip strength, right? I can make the same prediction. It's more, it's a better predictor of, of, of uh, health status than, say, your systolic blood pressure is, right? Mm-hmm. So your strength is an, a really good indicator of your overall health. Uh, because when you do strength training, it improves your overall health. And the more strength training you do, the more it improves your overall health. And the same with cardiorespiratory fitness, right? The, if, if, if I can put you on a treadmill and run you to exhaustion, right? Well, the longer you can go and the fast, the longer you can go and the faster you can go before you get exhausted, the, the more chance you're going to live longer and have less dementia and less heart attacks and less strokes and less cancer, right? So the so cardiorespiratory fitness and strength are both independently, you know, very strong predictors of what's called all cause mortality, basically your chance of dying of any cause, right? In the next say 10 years. Um, and when you do both of them, they're additive, right? So if you do cardio training, that increases your longevity. If you do strength training, it increases your longevity. If you do both, it's more, it's more than double as good, right? So they it's additive. Whereas now with balance and, and coordination, for most people, that's not really necessary because you kind of get that in just everyday life. But if, you, if you're talking about somebody who's very elderly and maybe very frail and has an increased risk of falls and um, you know, maybe decreased bone mineral density and there's an increased risk of fracture if they fall, well, balance training can be a really important component of physical fitness because it might actually extend somebody's life by several years if they can avoid a fall. Right, so so there's a really strong argument for strength training and cardiorespiratory training across the lifespan, in terms of health outcomes, and there's a really pretty strong argument for balance training at least in the elderly, right, or those at risk of falls and fractures, um, and there's pretty much bugger all argument for flexibility from a health perspective, right. So if you look at people who can do 210 degree splits, right, they do not live a day longer than people who can't even reach their knees. They're not happier. They don't have fewer strokes, fewer heart attacks. They don't have less diabetes. They don't have less dementia. You know, like flexibility is is just this physical capacity that you can either have or not, but it's just not a determinant of health. Mm. Whereas both strength training and cardiorespiratory exercise are massive determinants of your lifelong health and, in fact, the length of your life. So if you if you meet the physical activity guidelines of thirty minutes a day, five days a week, um, you know, brisk walking or equivalent, plus two to three resistance training sessions a week, uh, statistically you stand a fifty percent chance, fifty percent less chance of dying of any cause in the next ten years. I mean, at any age, that's incredible. So if you wanted to increase your flexibility for some reason, uh, and you could either do it by stretching, which has nil additional health benefits, or you could do it to the same degree by just doing strength training through range of motion, which has freaking untold health benefits. Mm. You know, like why would you do one when you could do the other and get like twice the benefit for the same amount of effort, like, or more than twice the benefit, like a thousand times the benefit <laughs> for the same amount of effort. It just, you know, doesn't make sense to me. So, um, yeah. Okay. Rant over. But if you want to stretch, go and stretch. <laughs> but do it in conjunction with all the other things. So it's not – and that's – and I probably maybe that would be the last thing I would say on it is that uh, – and I used to – this used to be a bugbear of mine when I used to um, grade some of our, our older um, – grade, grade, grade some of our um, dip students that used to send clients home with, you know, uh, their, their at-home programs. And of course, this would then be a, a learning process. I wouldn't, this was not something I would pass, is that if it were, you know, if it was a, a, an at-home program that was literally, it was just stretching. That's all it was. And, and I'm like, that client's got a finite amount of time. I want that, I want that client getting strong. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so if you've got a finite amount, so that's what I'm saying. If you like stretching, stretch. But if you've only got a finite amount of time, you're like, oh, but I really love stretching, so I'm just going to stretch three times a week, and that means I miss out on doing my weight training or my cardio. To me, that's where there's like, there's not. That's not a good payoff. Nah. Yeah. What is a good payoff? Strength training. <laughs> 
<laughs> running. Yeah. Doing some Pilates. Pilates works you through great range of, you know, range of movement. As long awesome. as it's as long as it's Pilates where you are under load, right? Not just this lying on your back, breathing, thinking about your pelvic floor, Pilates, but like, you know, long stretch on a reformer, bam. Lunges on a low spring, bam. Snake, twist. Control back, control front. Side bend, elephant. Well, gonna be we're gonna be getting we're gonna be doing lots of fun things in my uh, mat masterclass tonight. Mm. So there will be there will be plenty of loading through <laughs> through rom etc. And I dare say there won't be a static stretch in there. Just giving you guys the heads up now. Okay, good job, good good talk, Chloe. Yeah, I actually, I loved it. You really flipped me on that one, Ralph. I really actually enjoyed the conversation. You flipped me. I was like, ooh, stretching. But yeah, cool topic. I enjoyed that. Mm. Okay, great. See you next week. See ya. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.